Welcome to the new episode of Sportsy. Let's aim sports. Today we have with us Shamal Vallabhji, a South African sports scientist and a performance coach with 18 plus years of experience in high performance and sporting environment. The author of four books on sports science and motivation, a TEDx speaker, a recipient of IMK in Australia, India Youth Dialogue Fellowship, Men's Health Trainer of the Year 2014. Global Fitness Advisory Board Member to Herbal Life and Organizing Committee Member to the United Nations Changemaker Conference. Two decades of on-field experience with Olympians as well as champions, winning teams, three years of living as a monk who taught him the art and the science of work-life balance. We must learn who to starve our fears and feed our courage in our quest to cultivate excellence. Shamal work with athletes and executives to unlock their potential mentally, physically, and emotionally. He pushes his own physical and mental limits through ultra-marathons running and mountaineering. He dreams that he can touch the lives of millions of children by making sports an equal opportunity platform, devoid of politics, religion, race, gender, and socioeconomic basis. Let's welcome Shamal Vallabhji, who is with us, to talk to us about how we can be ready to unlock the champion in us. Hi, Shamal. Uh, great to have you on Sportsy. Uh, let's aim sports, where we talk about sports as a platform for people to aspire, inspire, and motivate. And uh, believe me, it is so fun to have you here from the whole mental aspect of it. Uh, the person who has worked with numerous athletes on the mental side to performance side to coaching side and himself being an athlete. Uh, it's a phenomenal journey and we just want to capture whatever we can in the next 30-35 uh, minutes with you. So great to have you here, Shamal. Thank you so much, Sid. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be on your show and I look forward to uh, peeling away the layers of uh, whatever it is we want to deep dive into. Yes, and uh, and believe me, those uh, the questions are going to write, uh, come your way because everybody wants to not know about what is the peak performances, what is the ultimate performances, how do you train yourself? And uh, our, our viewers are a lot of uh, our athletes, a lot of kids, a lot of parents of the uh, athlete who are kind of confused uh, as well as the sports management industry people. So it's a, it's not only, even though it's a sports channel, it's not only limited to sports. A lot of corporate people uh, watch this because they get inspiration. They get, uh, they know how to, if you look at a para-athlete, they get aspire, inspired by the story of those athletes. So this is, we have a good set of uh, viewers uh, for that. And I think it is something uh, perfect for us to have somebody like you. Shaman, my first question with all these things that, uh, yes, first thing we started as came from South Africa and uh, performance coaching, you yourself were an uh, uh, athlete. So how did you get attracted to sports while growing up in South Africa? We know it's a country or it's a place where the sports is in, in the blood, it's in the culture. But what you uh, as an individual, how did you get attracted to the sports in South Africa? Yeah, so I, I grew up, like you said, sports in South Africa is a part and parcel of who you are. Whether you come from a village or whether you come from an affluent home, everyone is built around sports you know growing up i even tell uh, people there's no for a teenager there's no clubbing culture you don't go out partying there's no drugs you know the culture is weekend everyone goes and watch sports everyone has a barbecue around a sporting event everyone watches events together entire families go out to watch your favorite teams perform uh, and that runs all the way down from state to national, even down to clubs. You know, you can have a club cricket game that could have anywhere from 
500 to two and a half thousand people sitting there watching it live on a Sunday. And that's the sort of culture that I grew up in. So I grew up wanting to always be a cricketer and wanting to play cricket. But uh, the time that I grew up in South Africa, it was the apartheid era. And the apartheid for our listeners is institutionalized segregation of people of color, which means people of color had limited opportunities with respect to education, facilities, and career paths, like, for example, sport. Uh, so that is what really inspired me to start the journey of sport. What inspired me to stay in the journey of sport was the fact that when I turned 18 and I realized that the doors were shut for a person like me, for a person of color, I was headstrong and adamant that I want to stay in this and do my part to eradicate discrimination from sport. Sport is, by every nature, a meritocracy, which means everyone starts at the same point, And when the gun goes off, the fastest, the strongest, the quickest, the most talented should win. And I didn't think that it was fair that layers of discrimination came in before the gun even went off. Mm -hmm. So my entire life, being more than 20 years now, has been dedicated to eradicating discrimination in sport across all uh, platforms, which could be religious discrimination, caste discrimination, gender discrimination, socioeconomic discrimination, uh, race discrimination. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what's motivated me to stay in it. Uh, I work on the performance side of sport. I work on the mind and the body. I help athletes do that. And people ask me, you know, why do you still do that? And my motivating factor, my single most motivating factor is to be the best in the world in terms of peeling away the layers of peak performance because the world only listens to the best. So I use my skill, I use my talent to stay right at the forefront of sport. And when I get a platform, I then use that platform to talk about the eradication of discrimination from sport and sport being a free and fair opportunity for all. Uh, interesting. I think just uh, believe me, Rick, what you said was so passionate. And uh, we know that uh, whatever we have read that 18, 19, when you actually chose not to go beyond because of the social, socioeconomic issues which are there. But just as an athlete, uh, knowing the issues but do you think that uh, it, it uh, do you have any regrets about giving up a professional career at that, that time no I, I have no regrets about giving it up you know if i put my hand on my heart and ask me would i have had a career in professional cricket that would have lasted 10 years the answer is no okay. i wouldn't i wasn't that talented i would not have lasted would i have been able to play state cricket for a year or two the answer is yes would i have been able to push past and perhaps make one debut on the international men's game for a while. Of course, yes, you know, but that's not the type of success I was aspiring for. I was aspiring for a decade of being right at the top. And the truth was, I wouldn't have been that person. Okay. Now, what the, I could look at the, the apartheid as something that didn't give me an opportunity, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I'm also grateful for the apartheid because it led me down a path where I could have sustained success for two decades. You know, my greatest strength up to today is my ability to look at something rationally and laterally. My strongest asset is my mind, my ability to peel away the layers of something and look at something from multiple perspectives is my strongest asset. And that's what I bring to performance enhancement. It was discrimination that suppressed a skill I wanted, but I wasn't good at to give a skill that I didn't want, but I was good at a chance to flourish. 
And how can you hate a system if it did that? So I don't hate the apartheid. I'm eternally grateful for the apartheid because the apartheid also did something else. If you were a person of color growing up in that system, you had to work 10 times harder than everyone else. Okay. And as a sportsman, you already are working exceptionally hard, but as a colored sportsman in an apartheid situation, you are working significantly harder. Now you can complain about that, but what it did was it instilled in me a work ethic that is second to none. I am not afraid of hard work. I can sleep on a floor. I can travel to any country. I don't care about getting bankrupt. I don't care about what people tell me. I don't care about how I'm positioned. I don't care about how many times I fail. I have a work ethic that is second to none. And the apartheid instilled that work ethic in me. And that work ethic, I am so confident in it that if you take every single thing that I have away from me today, right now, and you leave me with nothing but the clothes on my back, in under five years, I'd have more than I have today. That I'm absolutely guaranteed about. Wow. That's, uh, and that's, it's, not, I, 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 it's not only about confidence, about believing your ability. And I think that comes with the hard work and dedication that you have. And uh, uh, we, we're talking about uh, the South Africa and the a, a era in South Africa. Uh, and uh, we always get, in sports, we get to hear about the big statement which uh, uh, Nelson Mandela made about the sports has the power to change the world. It has the power to inspire. It has the power to unite people. And it actually understands, it has a language which youth understands. I think uh, that is so good. And you, uh, it is, whatever you're talking about it, I think it, it just connects to those, those points and uh, your work, whatever I have, uh, I have known you as a person on your website, your podcast and everywhere. We get to see that as a passion at different level of uh, making the change happen. Uh, so when, so on those lines, when you actually decided to move away from uh, being an athlete to make an impact with sports on multiple aspects, uh, you uh, basically you started focusing on sports science and uh, one thing is for sure that you couldn't get uh, the sport out of you how was that journey on a sports science field uh, or sports science career uh, beyond a playing athlete i mean that that journey was absolutely phenomenal because you know you got to look inside the human body you know and I'm talking 1997, 1998, when I started studying sports science. People didn't even know what sports science was. Exactly. You know? So we're looking at the science of human performance, studying muscle, studying biology, studying nutrition, and the impact of it on sport. I was experimenting. People don't know this. You know, nobody knows this. I was so passionate about sports science that in 1999, I was the high-performance coach with the KwaZulu-Natal Dolphins. That's a state cricket team in KwaZulu-Natal. We had the likes of Sean Pollock, Dale Benkenstein was our captain. You had Pat Simcox, John T. Rhodes, all of these guys were there. At that stage, I was working with a company called Sunto. Sunto makes heart rate monitors. And they came out with the first team-based short-range heart rate monitoring system, okay? Which means that I could monitor the heart rate of my players in real time over a distance of 150 meters. So I had to strategically position receivers all over the ground to get that data. And in 1999, when people weren't even looking at anything else, I was checking how quickly bowlers were fatiguing between spells, all because I was trying to prevent that one over that went for 12 runs, because that was the pivotal point. So I was looking to myself, what is the one thing that we can do to shift an outcome of a game? And we looked at and we said, at least 10% of the games we lost in a season were lost by under 10 runs. And 
under 10 runs means one over. If you can shift the outcome of one over, okay, you could win those games. Right. And we looked at variable heart rate and I found that bowlers were bowling the fifth or sixth over in a spell when they were fatigued. And that was the reason why they had poor accuracy and that was what cost them. Wow. Okay. And we tracked that. And then I took that a step further. I used to use a software called Silicon Coach, which was a pure coaching software that captured video footage and you could slow it down mm -hmm. and then we could do this. So back in 1999, I was recording games full-time, superimposing them onto Silicon Coach and studying biomechanics. And then we took it a step further where I got Silicon Coach and Sunto to speak to each other. And I integrated these two softwares. So whilst recording a game in real time, I was also getting real-time feedback on a person's variable heart rate. Now, that was unheard of back in 1999. No one was doing anything like that. And we didn't have the money and the resources or the administrators didn't believe in that there. But that was really where I started getting phenomenally interested in how I could shift the outcome of a game using science. Mm -hmm. And remember, when people look at shifting outcomes, the first thing we talk about is performance enhancement drugs, right? So everyone looks at drugs at enhancing performance. And I was fascinated by how could I shift the outcome of a game within the confines or rules of that game? Mm -hmm. And that's what technology came in. Technology allowed us to shift the outcome within the confines of that game. So looking at things like recovery. I mean, we did a lot of things that was, were, were not fair, to be honest. And, and, but they didn't break any rules. For example, right. today when you walk, look at a cricket game and you look at the people who are walking around the field that are giving drinks, you'll see all of them are using vests. All of them are using bibs. Correct? Yes. Right. Nobody knows this, but where do you think bibs came into play? Bibs came into play back in South Africa in 1999, 2000, because what we started doing was we used to get in a high pressure situation. I used to get all the fielders in the change room who weren't playing to just carry a drink and walk all over the field. Because when a batter is in a high pressure situation and he scans the cricket field, he doesn't know who's inside the rope and who's outside the rope isn't it? So he couldn't identify the gaps as clearly as he could. So we didn't do anything wrong, but we modified and we broke the rules within the rules to get a performance enhancement game. And that was what actually brought in the bibs into the game of cricket. So, you know, even the game of 2020 cricket evolved in South Africa, you know, when we had the discovery tournament where four, four teams came together in the day, you know, the Australians and the South Africans, when you look at the game of cricket, we were light years ahead of everyone else in terms of understanding science. I still think we are light years ahead of everyone else in terms of interpreting science. And, and that was how we brought it to the forefront. And that was why I still am madly in love with sports science. But now I spend a significant amount of time on the psychology aspect of it. Because at the cutting edge of sport, physiologically, almost everyone's the same. The differentiator, the differentiator comes in in psychology. And that's what now is my key area of focus. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Shamal, I think this is so fascinating. And I, I remember that uh, the what you're talking about now, if I can start re recollecting that, I think we see the players and I think it was an amazing thing to understand why it was happening. Uh, just one question around, around it. It's like, the South Africa was always ahead of the curve when it came to science, of implementing science and all those things happening. But at the same time, 
the thing that you doing now is a mental conditioning of of the player was that happening that time because for so many years unfortunately we always uh, related south africa cricket team with the unfortunate word c and uh, they were like choking at the last moment uh, and that is what the cricket team was going uh, let's not get into the whole cricket side of it but do you think the it was more of a science and less of mental happening that time uh, where we saw the shift happening later yeah you know i mean at back in that day i remember you know after the 2003 world cup i started working with gary kirsten and paddy upton in the high performance cricket union in cape town and we had a team of about 20 scientists that were working on our players and we were grooming talent i mean we had an emotional psychologist his name was dr david crombey who used to come in uh during the cricket world cup when i worked with india we had dr sandy gordon who was our sports psychologist so sports psychology was really at the forefront even back then the problem was that the administrators didn't think it was important enough so whilst you had a psychologist on your support staff the head coaches at the time didn't think it was important enough and why i mean right now i i used to spend time in kings 11 punjab as a mental coach I hardly got any time to really do any work on the mental side. Why? Because the coaches in the current ecosystem themselves don't think sports psychology is important, or they may publicly say it is important, but they're not carving out time out of that training schedule to look at the mental health of players. So, and now we are twenty years down the line from when I'm talking about, and it's still not shifted. Yeah. The point is that you know it is a massive. impact on performance mm-hmm. and it needs to be looked at the amount of anxiety and stress a professional cricketer goes through is you know it cannot be discounted by any shape and form and especially in a game like the IPL or a tournament like the IPL there's such a phenomenal amount of pressure it's a make or break tournament Correct. for for most people's career and how can one be naive enough to think that there isn't mental stress and anxiety around trying to operate in that ecosystem correct and uh, it's such a probably just a topic that a couple of days back uh, uh, i read in the paper about sachin mentioning about 10 12 years spending in uh, uh, in anxiety uh, and uh, at at the person at his level and his stature also said that i used to sleep less night before the games uh, uh, and it it was just it just came in, in the in the paper and just connecting the dots that you work with indian team in 2003 world cup uh, in south africa uh, where it was a great run for indian team but do you think the final was a mental loss than a actual loss absolutely it was a mental loss i remember in the morning of the final i actually went down to breakfast at 5 am and sachin was sitting there i remember having tea with him in the morning at 5 o'clock cuz he couldn't sleep the whole night and and you know he's right it was nervous and right next to him 20 minutes later virendra sevag was there and then everyone was pacing around and it was definitely a mental game you know i think the phenomenal the the pressure the indian cricket team puts themselves to win against pakistan is uh is too much and i think that when i look back at 2003 as a world cup you know that win is winning against pakistan in a world cup was such a release of pressure that they felt that we achieved something so you know i mean sitting in there in the change room i couldn't understand whether we celebrated more winning that win than actually getting into the final you know and and it and it puts things in perspective doesn't it 
Right. You know, and where does that pressure come from? How does that pressure come? That the pressure is societal. That pressure is a, a, a byproduct of what is put out there and how the athletes perceive it. And then you have to understand that these athletes are in the early 20s. No one in the early 20s is emotionally mature enough to distinguish between what is right, what is wrong, where their focus should be, especially when there's so much riding on the line. Okay. So it's true. You know, it was a mental game. We we were happy to get there. We were overly happy when we beat Pakistan. We were exceptionally nervous when we got to the finals. You know, Australia were they were having a run of their life. I mean, yeah. Adam Gilchrist, Ricky Ponting, Matty Hayden, you name it. I mean, what a team they had. Andrew Simons, you know, it was phenomenal. You know, were we going in the underdogs? There's absolutely no doubt about it. We are going in the underdogs. Right. You know, yeah. And and did we put too much pressure on ourselves? Absolutely, we put too much pressure on ourselves. You know, but how does one deal with that? Is a phenomenal thing. And now, when South Africa, you mentioned South Africa going into a World Cup, every single South African player who walks into a World Cup game is carrying the residual stress going back 40 years. You know, every single player. Why? They know every single team is under pressure. They know everyone's going to use the word choker. They know we have to redo the mistakes that Alan Donald and Lance Armstrong made, uh, Lance Klusner made in 19... Yeah, in 1999 or whatever it is, we have to keep... We have the pressure of undoing that. That's far too much pressure for any athlete to carry. You know, yeah, and 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 if you're not cognizant of the fact that someone is carrying that pressure, then you're obviously not going to be mindful enough of putting systems in place to help eradicate it. Interesting. Uh, and uh, on 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 these, uh, this is such an amazing uh, information for so many people who are watching it and uh, listening to this. Is uh, uh, it's about how do you handle the handle the pressure and don't carry the baggage is let's leave for a lot of people say live for today and and give the importance to what you're doing right now rather than carrying the baggage it's obviously easier said than done but you have worked with so many elite athletes with india's davis cup south africa cricket team india cricket team kings 11 punjab Mahesh Bhupati, max mirni there's a long list of people that you have worked but when all these things and last 20 25 years of what you have been studying around it what is your difference between the performance and a peak performance Peak performance is really pushing the upper limits of your potential. That's what peak performance is, you know. But the secret is you want to have sustained peak performance. You know, you don't want to go up and down like a yo-yo. You want to operate within 2 to 3% of your peak performance on a sustained, continuous manner. Right. And that's a science, you know. For someone who goes up and down, they need the external environment stress, they need motivation, they need coaches, they need perfect situations. For those who can sustain a certain level of competition in and out, week in, week out, month in month, year in year, that's called sustained peak performance. And that's the first prerequisite that we need to do. So that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the variability in performance and how can we create some level of stability and sustainability to that. And I break it up in a few ways. So I'm looking at, okay, what does peak performance look like? And how can I quantify these metrics or these variables? Let's assume, let's take a fast bowler, for example. Let's say a fast bowler has the potential to bowl 150 kilometers an hour. 
right? And that's his top speed, right? Now I'm looking at his average bowling speed. Let's hypothetically say his average bowling speed is 144 kilometers an hour. Now I'm looking at the differential between 150 and 148. Don't have a calculator but with me, but if we calculate what that differential is, and it's very simple, between them is between 2% and 4%, then I'm looking at biomechanics and I'm looking at technical. So technical could be uh, your shoes, for example. Could we get lighter shoes on them? Could we get better equipment on them? Uh, could we get better breathable clothing? You know, could we adjust biomechanics to close that gap? If the differential between top performance and average performance is less than 2%, then I'm going purely into psychological and trying to move them into flow states. So the first thing I'm trying to do is calculate the differential between peak performance and average performance and see what the gap that I need to close is. And everything then stems from there on how I approach it and things like that. And when you look at performance, for me, there's certain things that are non-negotiable, you know, uh, irrespective of the sport you're playing at, irrespective of the code of sport or position you're playing at, you know, I'm expecting my athletes to maintain a body fat percentage of less than 12% minimum, right? I'm expecting them to at least leg press two and a half times their body weight, bench press one times their body weight. You know, I'm expecting their diet to be absolutely tip top. You know, these are just non-negotiables. I'm expecting them to have the best equipment available to them. I'm expecting them to be training in the best environment and have people to push them. You know, these are just low-hanging fruit. If you don't have this in place, we can't help you. And that's the fundamental problem that we have in India, is that if you're fighting to get an athlete a good plate of food, you are scratching so low on the barrel that... You know, it's not possible to create sustained peak performance for an entire decade. It's impossible, you know, because you compete against people who have all of this, who have great technology. Now you get, I mean, we have 92 high performance centers in the country, Sports Authority of India high performance centers. Those facilities are not up to scratch for professional athletes to train in. None of our professional athletes, barring IPL cricketers, are tracking any of their physiology on technology. So we're not looking at sleep markers. We're not looking at temperature markers. We're not looking at physiology and GPS markers at all. None of the coaches beyond perhaps your hockey team or your cricket team understand how to interpret sports science data. Okay. No one has access to continuous medical screenings. Mm. No one's doing continuous bone density tests to check lean muscle mass against bone density to predict injury. If you don't have all of this, how are you expected to sustain peak performance over a decade? It's impossible. And you're not going to be able to do this until you don't get the buy-in of administrators. Mm -hmm. And that's fundamentally where we are getting, where we're pausing it. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Interesting is about the, uh, the, I I, I, I didn't know what you, what you spoke about the, the, the parameter between the average performance and peak performance, the percentage and all those things. I think it is, uh, it is something very important. And also some of the, uh, the facts that you mentioned about the cricket team or hockey team having some access to it, but not everybody else. That itself is a, is a situation like a warning sign that we have to take actions. Otherwise, we'll just, or we'll just go to cry, keep crying every four years that we don't get medals. Uh, I think uh, that is the unfortunate part. And hopefully we overcome that. Uh, so Shamil, one question that I, I had and a lot of your 
kids watch uh, my channel uh, of uh, who I want to be athlete, they always say that we hit a uh, hit a wall uh, against certain uh, certain player or certain type of players, and we do, we are not able to cross that person. So or we go and win once or twice, but we are not able to sustain that kind of thing. So what exactly is the winning mindset is, or how do you actually break the barrier and uh, overcome that a particular? I know a lot of efforts are required, a lot of technical things are required. There will be a process to it, but on the mental side, what is that winning mindset that people can develop, and uh, how, what uh, is there any way that people can understand how to develop that? You. In the world of sport, how I train an athlete mentally was I push them so hard physically right, that when they walk into competition, no matter who they're facing, that person doesn't even hold a candle to what they've gone through in practice. Now, if you are hitting a mental block against a player, okay, then the only way is to build your competence because competence drives confidence, which means the better you get at something, the more confident you are, the more confident you are, the more able you are to execute under high pressure situations okay now competence means really pushing the envelope on every single aspect mentally physically psychologically whatever it is you have to push the limit the fundamental problem is in india we look at practice practicing our sport as working hard you know we think we're batting for five hours we've worked hard I don't even count those five hours. You know, I come from a school of thought where you need to spend 10 hours in the gym to earn the right to even pick up the bat. You know, that is where you build your competence because you are playing a sport you love. What is so hard about running with a football? What is so hard about playing cricket? You love it. It's fun. You're doing it with your friends, you know, but you got to earn the right to do that. And you earn the right by eating well, by sleeping well, by training hard, by doing every single thing else. And if you operate in this system, then no matter who you face as a player, you'll overcome them. You know? So that's the differentiator between South African sport that I grew up in and what I see in India. In India, I see so many people. I have cricketers who come and I coach them and they say, we practice three times a day. I said, who are you bluffing? Please go and jump three times a day. And when you can do that for a month, then come and pick up the bat. You know, because skill is the easiest thing to develop. You know, it's grit, it's determination, it's mental toughness, it's pushing past that breaking point. And then I even tell athletes, athletes saying we're in the gym three times a day. I'm saying, fantastic. Now put your shoes on and go for a run. You know, how did I break my athletes? You know, how, how did I break my athletes when I trained them? I used to jump them in a car and I used to get somebody to drop us off 30 kilometers away from the ground. Now you got no money and you have to run back. You, you want to stop, you stop and you sit on the side of the road. No one's coming to pick you up. You understand? Yeah, that's what you do. That's how you, you have to find a way to break your mind. You know, because when you break your mind, you'll be able to break and face anything that anyone throws at you. Interesting. It's so so fascinating to understand about this, about the breaking the mindset and, and go just crossing the crossing the barrier, crossing the mental barrier that you have. But in the whole process, uh, Shamal, we live in the, the mix of urban and rural kind of thing, and everybody is driven by something different. So uh, I, we have seen and we have heard so many stories of the elite athlete also getting complacent. 
so it has got an issue uh, and it creates a bigger issue for people who follow them or want to uh, adapt to those kind of people that uh, but as an athlete at any level that you are in how not to get complacent and also how do you actually build a mindset which is around aspirational inspiration and motivational which is going to help you as an athlete yeah you know my athletes at least those that get complacent they're not getting complacent in the first month or first year they're getting complacent after 15 years so whoever is looking at them and saying they're complacent please have a look at where they are in their life they pushed for 15 years before they turned pro and then they push for 15 years after they turn pro before complacency set in and if you are comparing them to your level of complacency after 2 months of just starting your training then you got to look in the mirror <laughs> yeah. you know because you got to understand that the level at which a professional athlete is operating at is not sustainable for the rest of his life that's why his career ends after 15 years that's why it stops at 30 to 35 it's impossible to push the body that hard it's impossible to be to be that disciplined in your nutrition in your sleeping in your tracking in your travel it's not possible to put every other agenda aside you know for the rest of your life i missed my brother's wedding you know i missed every single family function from the time i was 16 to the time i was 30 not a single diwali not a single family function was i ever there you understand so yes if you see me parting on christmas now when i'm 40 and you look at it he's getting complacent i should do that you should look at what i've done for the previous <laughs> 20 years first you know so compare apples with apples okay you want to compare yourself compare yourself to that professional athlete but compare yourself to when he was at that stage in your life and look at what he was doing interesting yeah so uh, i i think it's a, it's a very uh, very rightful thought that you put in mind it's about how do you look at and because we are we are born in the born in the era or we are born judgmentals we want to judge people on whatever actions that we are it's like we will find a find a flaw in prithvi shaw because of his uh, the way he acts or what we we are seen from the kamli day like sachin and kamli and everywhere right we have always thought about uh, comparing and being judgmental about those but it's it's all about how you look at that situation so uh, so i have i have again uh, uh, so on on one more question on, on the same line that uh, you have so much experience uh, behind you about the whole my, mental side of it yes you started with science but we came to the mental side of it uh, what how do you implement the mental conditioning if, even if not your pro athlete how do you maintain that uh, as as a regular corporate life or any kind of life because you do work with a lot of corporate uh, business heads uh at uh, coaching them so how does that work in and in the current situation when we are living in the bubble or we are we are in the green channel where bubble to bubble we are traveling we don't know what lot of uncertainties around us so what are those things that you actually talk to those people with so if you want to perform at your peak irrespective of what field you're in the first thing you need to do is create mind space or mental space you need to understand how to still the mind because when you still the mind you're able to process stress and your options to stress a lot clearer a stressed brain cannot think clearly so the first thing that anyone needs to do is understand how to still their mind through maybe practices like breath work or mindfulness or meditation stilling the mind is vitally vitally important the second thing that you need to do to perform under stress is you need to do all your research 
You need to study. You need to read. You need to listen to podcasts. I spend on average four hours a day just studying, just listening to podcasts, just reading books, doing that. Why? Because when you're in a high-pressure situation, you're going to draw on information that you have, either experience, either knowledge, or whatever it is. And when BDNF, brain-derived nootropic factor, kicks in during activity, brain-derived derived nootropic factor will merge certain neurons together, which means you'll come up with novel ways to get out of a situation. But that can only happen is if you have information available at your disposal. So still the mind. The second is study. There's no getting away from that. And the third thing you really need to do is you need to have discipline in execution. Okay. You need to have a level of mastery over a certain component of your skill. Okay. When you have mastery over a skill, the skill moves from the conscious mind to the subconscious mind. Okay. I keep telling cricketers, you know, everyone, Shane Wan did an amazing thing for fast bowlers, for, for spinners, leg spinners. He also did a terrible thing for leg spinners because after leg spinners, what Shane Wan bowled, every single leg spinner on the planet thought I need to have at least 10 different variations to bowl. Okay. When the truth is, all you needed to do was execute one ball 100% perfectly. You needed to land. If you landed the exact same ball in the exact same place every single time, you would be good enough to play for 10 years. Right. So that's the fundamental thing that people forget. It's not about your variety. It's about your ability to execute a single skill with perfect mastery. And that's the third thing that you need. So you need knowledge, you need mastery, and you need mindfulness. And I think that's a, that's a complete uh, a package that people can look at, irrespective of field, as you mentioned, because it's, it's everywhere right now it, that you have to look at any field that it, nothing to do with sports. It's about every field. Uh, so just a, a, a last question, uh, Shamal, I have, or sorry, rather, second last question I have. One is little fun part and one is little uh, normal part. Is about, you have worked with so many uh, athletes. What is the, uh, what are those traits that uh, you come across which are, really baffle you uh, that they are these are the, the biggest of the guys and how can they still be like this so are those any things that uh, really baffle you yeah some of them are super destructive of the field you can't even have a conversation with them for one minute it, it's incredible how they could be such geniuses but you can't, can't hold their awareness on any one thing for longer than one minute when they're not playing a sport it's amazing i, I i'm intrigued by that every single day you know, uh, and, and that's really one of the most remarkable things. And I think the reason why they let that is because they're so hyper switched on when they're on the field mm -hmm. that they completely switched off off the field, you know. Uh, and, and that's the one that's the thing that really sort of baffles me about them. Everything else is really and truly uh, a byproduct of work, a byproduct of personality. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also really amazing how. Uh, every sportsman at every single level, you know, whilst he's playing, seems to think that this is going to go on forever. Yeah. When there's absolutely no track record of anyone ever going on forever. So no one that I've ever spoken to has even considered anything else whilst they were playing sport. And they only start thinking about it after their career has literally hit the ground. And that baffles me because you've seen everyone struggle after the careers ended you've seen everyone not have enough money from a sustained long career right. yet it's it baffles me how you cannot understand how i should use my 
influence whilst I'm playing to build an alternate passive income stream. You know, if, uh, yeah, I mean, I keep saying that to myself. If I took my knowledge and went back 20 years, I would be in a completely different place today because I would just use my network a lot better, you know, uh, thinking that, knowing full well that this will have to come to an end at some stage. Yeah. Interesting. I, that, that was uh, just wanted to know. And uh, because we always see that there are those crazy uh, athletes in every, every field. Like we, we talk about, uh, yes, De Villiers, like Mr. 360, right? He is like one of the greatest guy that India loves. Uh, more probably loved more than a lot of Indian uh, players as well, the way he is. But uh, the mental skill, he has probably played every possible game at the uh, best possible way. But we have, he is also very sincere in the in the regular life, but not everybody is like that. They are just probably a masterclass that they come out of sometime. Yeah. Uh, so uh, my last question to you, Shamal, is uh, uh, you are, your dream is to work, uh, touch the lives of so many kids and actually give them a right platform, which is uh, not uh, controlled by any discrimination, socioeconomic and all those things. And sports, making sports is a vehicle for change. Uh, that is what you want to do. And so what is that message that you would like to give to those budding athletes or the kids who are just want to play and give a, a, want to get a platform to express themselves? At the same time, parents who are getting confused about what to do, how to strike a balance between uh, their playing career or the education, all those things. What is the last message that you would like to end, end our show on, chat on? Yeah, it's, it's tough for parents. It's tough for athletes as well. Um, you know, the first thing is, you know, um, be disciplined in your training and, and ask yourself, am I doing everything I possibly can over and above playing the sport to give myself the best chance of success? You know, that's the first question I would ask the athletes to ask, which means, am I training? Am I getting access to a gym? Am I finding a way to do it uh, besides play? Okay. The second is, how tough am I being? On myself with respect to being disciplined in my sport right. you know that's that's very very important and then i think the most important thing is you know maybe when you're 14 15 it doesn't really matter but as you get up to about 18 19 and you're deciding to pursue a professional career in sport be very honest with yourself you know it's not hard to see what your chances of success are it's really not hard i'm not asking you to look at the whole world I'm asking you to just look in your community. If you're the best in your community, amazing. If you're the best in your state, amazing. If you're the best in your country, amazing. You know, being the best in India at something also doesn't guarantee that you could put bread on the table. Right. You know, so you'd have to be really, really honest with yourself on where you sit, you know, because, you know, every day you deprive yourself of the truth is the day you deprive yourself of a good life in some other aspect. And it's very tough for coaches to step up and actually tell you when you should take a break or not. Mm -hmm. But you can know when you should give it up and you can know if you're working hard enough to do it. You know, If someone's working harder than you, then pack your bags immediately. Oh, wow. And uh, yes, easier said than done, but uh, right straight... Uh, it's, it's, it's a very straight and simple message for people to understand where you are, understand what you are. And I think the uh, everything that we spoke for the last 30, 35 minutes is all about having a discipline, having a mindfulness towards what you do and just respect 
what you get every day and earn earn basically earn those things which you really want to cherish in your life i think it's amazing uh, uh, uh listening to you shamal it is i know that i can pick your brain for hours together but yeah this is this is the format this is short thing probably i i wish i get to i hope i get to host you some other time again with a more focused a different different topic but for now it is wonderful thank you for sharing all that you you sure shared with us it was fun it was honest and straight from the heart thank you shamal uh, and uh, look forward to talk to you soon thanks a lot sir thank you all the best thank you take care thank you for watching thank you for liking and thank you for sharing but please do subscribe on our channel sportsy says and help us spread the word about sportsy we go with the same handle sportsy says across all social media platforms Thank you.